one of the evidences of God's loving this congregation and being a faithful father to us is that he, in September, appointed for the Sunday after last Wednesday's business meeting this text. He knew that the uh, discussion would happen. He knew how it would go, and he knew what we would need. The text isn't my choice. It was in the star, September 16, 1992, and it was his gift to this church for our need. If you weren't at the business meeting, it was a discussion of whether to buy a pipe organ or not. 217 people were here. 71% said yes, 29% said no. And we spent about 50 minutes lining up at three microphones across here, giving reasons back and forth on the two sides whether to buy an organ or not and why. The discussion was full of strong emotion and the differences ran pretty deep. One of the questions it raises for us as we look at this text is whether or not the differences between those two sides are the kinds or the category of differences addressed in this text. We know that Paul is not talking about organs. Uh, nevertheless, he's talking about differences. Look at verse 21. Some people are compared to eyes, other people are compared to hands. Some people are compared to heads, other people are compared to feet. Then look again at verse 22. Evidently, there are people who seem to be weaker, evidently then some stronger. Verse 23, there are people who are less honorable, or I don't think that means sinfully dishonorable, but rather having less prominence or distinction or perhaps being less flashy or outstanding in various ways. And so it seems to me that the category of differences in this text, so that the text would be relevant for them, are non-sinful distinctions that might be perceived as weaknesses. Weaknesses in thought, or weaknesses in experience, or weaknesses in various ways, or uh, gifts, some spectacular, some ordinary, or various emphases in people's minds, or various perspectives, or various focuses. Now the point, therefore, is not that there was no sin or is no sin on either side of that organ debate. There's ample sin on both sides to go around to keep us all humble before the Lord and before the cross, I think. The point, rather, is that the positions that were taken on either side do not have to involve sin. And so, to the extent that they don't, I think they're the sort of thing Paul is talking about here. They fit into the category. Now, that means that this text is tremendously relevant to us this morning, especially to the, to the 217 people who were at that meeting. And there are two words, three really, but there's two and then sort of a foundational word. One is a negative word for us this morning, a warning not to yield to a temptation coming out of that meeting. And the other is a, an exhortation of a positive kind to cloak that meeting in a certain way. And I want to take those one at a time, the negative one, the warning, and then uh, the positive one 
afterwards. First, the warning. The warning is a warning not to come away from that meeting saying that the people who spoke on the side that you're not on aren't necessary in this church. Look at verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. And again, the head cannot say to the feet, I have no need of you. Now that means very personally, historically, biblically, it would be immature for a person on one side or the other to look across the aisle and say, I don't need that kind of person. I do not need that. That would be very immature. That would be very foolish, very self-destructive, very contrary to the body. It would be the easy road, emotionally, would be the low road, not the high road of maturity, nobility, love. My guess is that if you took a survey of the two sides of the issue, 99% of the people on both sides would think that the other side represent the weak view. I mean, that's why they're on the side they're on, right? It's the strong view. So the other people represent the weak way of understanding reality. Now look at verse 22, and you'll see how relevant that is. The organ people, the non-organ people, say, might regard the other side as weak in their grasp of economic, social, global, urban, mission realities that ought to shape the ministry for the next decades. And the organ people might regard the other side as weak in their grasp of the dynamics of worship and the historic place of the arts in the life of the spirit and the life of the church. Now verse 22 says, on the contrary, that is over against saying I have no need of you, on the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem weaker are necessary. Now, that's a very careful way of talking. That's an interesting way of talking. Seem. Seem. That's really there. That's not just an English paraphrase. That's really there in the original language. Paul says there's a group here in the church in Corinth. They seem to be weaker by another group or person. So he leaves open whether they're really weaker or not. Maybe they're weaker, maybe they're not weaker, but they seem to be weaker to me, to you. They seem weaker in the way they're thinking about something or the way they're acting about something. And in response to that perception of weakness, Paul says they are necessary. Necessary. Not optional, but necessary. Not Merely helpful, but necessary. Not maybe needful as a part of the body, but necessary. Necessarily needful, needful as a part of the body. Now that's the warning this morning. That's a warning not to respond to the temptation coming out of that business meeting to say that kind of person who thinks that way, they're not needed here. And I just assume they would dry up and go away. Either side. To say that is a mark of immaturity in the Christian life. Now, of course, I don't mean that every word on both sides has to be endorsed. What I do mean is that a lot of words on both sides need to be endorsed and are true. 
Verse 22 makes plain that Joe Lane and Philemon Young are necessary. That Jeff Swanson and Patty Larson are necessary. That Kurt Swanson and David Lorian are necessary. That Kevin Mason and John Turner are necessary. They're not just optional people. They are necessary. Maybe even, maybe even, Pat Rep's call for more Bethlehem bluegrass is necessary. <laughs> you were there. I looked for you. There you are. It's a test of our maturity this morning. It's a test of our faith to believe that each is necessary and to act on it. Now, that brings me to the second thing, to act on it. What do you do if you believe this in your head now? And you're, you're mad still, maybe? Relationships are strained? The positive response that Paul calls for is found in verses 24 and 25. Let's start reading in the middle of verse 24 where God, just like last week in verse 18 and just like the week before that in verse 11 is the one who composes the body. That's the foundation here again. That third thing that I said was a foundation is, is God composing this body called Bethlehem with its 29 and 71 configuration on this issue as of Wednesday. God has so composed the body, God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, that there should be no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. Now ask yourself this question. What is the opposite, in verse 25, what is the opposite of division? It's a surprising opposite to me as I read. I might have expected him, if he were writing today, to say um, that there be no division in the body, but rather unified ideas about the organ. Because, because unity is the opposite of division, right? Wrong. At least not that kind of unity. Look at it again. It says that there be no division in the body, and here's the opposite, but that the members should have the same care for each other. Now, Paul's a realist. See? He's a realist. He knows he's not going to get everybody to agree about the organ, but he will not tolerate looking across the aisle and jumping from... I don't have any time for your ideas about the organ from to I don't have any time for you. He will not allow that in the church. He will allow all kinds of diversity about instrumentation and form and style. But when it comes to caring for the person who just spoke at the microphone, there's no question. There's no question here of what's called for. The positive command of the Lord to Bethlehem this morning regarding Wednesday night is that whatever your difference from another person on the organ issue, care for that person is not optional. 
care for that person. You can look a person right in the face this morning and say, I didn't like what you said. I love you. Can you say that? Can you say that? You must grow into that if you cannot now say that because that is the opposite of division. That's the opposite of division. To look people in the face and say, I love you. I stand by you. I'm committed to you. I think you're wrong. I mean, if we can't say that, we will not be real people. We will either be a divided people and go separate ways on a whole host of issues, or we will be sham people. And I'm not in favor of sham. I hate hypocrisy. Summarizing. God's two words to us, a negative word and a positive word. The negative word is... Do not come away from Wednesday night saying, I don't need those kind of people. Or I don't need thinking like that. You need it. There is so much truth on the other side besides yours, you need it. And the second word from God is, love one another. Let there be a shared caring for one another. And the bottom line, as I said in verse 24, is it's a trust issue. God composed this body. Do you believe that God is composing this body? I do. I really do. Let me close by listing for you the unifying convictions about worship that hold us together and give us a thrust into the future that is very, very pointed and powerful and bright. When I'm thinking about factors of unity, I think of level one issues and level two issues and level three issues and right on up in increasing negotiability for me. Now, I want to give you about seven level one issues which for me are non-negotiable. If this church decided otherwise, I would leave. And then I'll give you a couple of level two issues, and the organ is on neither of those levels for me. These levels, these first two levels, are crucial, crucial levels. They are what make Bethlehem what it is, I believe. Here they are. Number one, glad God-centeredness. We put a high priority on a vertical focus of our Sunday morning service. The ultimate aim is to experience God in such a way that his worth is reflected. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Glad God-centeredness. Number two, expecting the powerful presence of God. We do not just direct ourselves toward God. God comes into these services. That's our expectation, that God will come draw near to me and I will draw near to Bethlehem. My expectation is that God comes down when these children sing. Expect that, kids, in the second service, that when you sing, God's going to come down. God's going to move. God's going to bring people to himself. It will make you very, very excited about what you do. Number three. Bible-based and Bible-saturated.
the content of our singing and praying and welcoming and preaching and poetry should always conform to the truth of Scripture. The content of God's Word will be woven through all this worship service and we will appeal to one and only one infallible authority under God, the Bible. Number four, combining head and heart. Our worship will aim at kindling the deepest and strongest emotions for God possible, but not at the expense of short-circuiting the human brain. It's called emotionalism, when you short-circuit the mind and target the heart. It's called manipulation, and therefore we will always strive to bring heart and head together in the proper integration in our life together in worship, and we will give an account of the things that we say with shareable evidences that you can look at yourself. No one will be able to pull rank on you from the pulpit. Number five, earnestness and intensity. We will seek to avoid trite, flippant, superficial, frivolous atmosphere, but instead set an example of reverence and passion and wonder. Six, authentic communication. We utterly renounce all sham, deceit, hypocrisy, pretense, affectation, and posturing. We strive against an atmosphere of oratorical performance or artistic demonstration and instead pursue the atmosphere of radically personal encounter with God and truth. And that is possible in the Messiah and in preaching. It is not easy in either, but it is a high and holy calling not to perform, but to minister to persons who will live in hell or heaven forever and let that shape the way you sing and play the organ and the piano and preach authentic communication. And finally, at level one, the manifestation of the Spirit and the common good. We expect and hope and pray that focusing on the manifestation of God is good for people and therefore loving one another is not optional as accompaniment of worship but rather is an essential in authentic worship. Not to care that good happens to people in worship is to betray 1 Corinthians 12, 7. The manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now, two closing level two commitments. Undistracting excellence. We will try to sing and play and pray and preach in such a way that people's attention will not be diverted from the substance by shoddy performance. That makes sense? Nor by excessive finesse. You can distract people from the substance of God and reality by excessive finesse and by shoddy, careless performances. The balance is what I call undistracting excellence that opens the gate of heaven, the window on God, 
so that one isn't distracted onto the secondary vehicles, preacher or player. And finally, the mingling of historic and contemporary music. Jesus said, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure both what is new and what is old. In summary, let us not say, I have no need of you, but rather let us have the same care for one another because God is the one who's at work composing this body this symphony, God's doing this here. It's too valuable to sacrifice. And finally, let's uh, unite around first level truths. Let's pray. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I call upon you to perform the necessary healing among those who still have strong emotions from last Wednesday. I bless you for your ministry that night and the candor and the freedom and the peace with which we spoke. And now I pray that you, the great composer, would move us forward and I just want to remind you that the prayer teams will be here and it may be that there's some, there's some things maybe left over from Wednesday or maybe other relationships or maybe just something I haven't even touched on that you want prayer for. They'd just love to take five or ten minutes here at the front with people and pray. Lord, dismiss us now with your blessing. Fill these children with strength and joy for another great service, I pray in Jesus' name.